So let me ask, have you recovered? Have you recovered from the chaos and the busyness that often attends the preparation and then the celebration of that holiday, coupled with the running up to the end of the year and the starting of new resolutions and so on? Have you found some peace? Have you found some quiet? Or has the chaos and busyness just changed? All that time and energy you thought you would have, has it just been taken up with new projects, new things? As our pace of life is often overwhelming, as so many things often demand our attention, and as so many things that demand our attention are often negative and sad and difficult, let me ask you, how do you find peace? Where do you find comfort in the midst of the weariness, craziness, and pain? For those that are parents of young kids, maybe it's a few quiet moments after you finally wrestled the little ones into bed. Maybe it's your morning quiet time. A few moments of silence over the first cup of coffee in the morning. A walk at work in the middle of a hectic day. Perhaps there are a few of you that it's not in quiet and peace, but you go challenge yourself with a hike on a mountain or go on a long run so that the endorphins and the sense of accomplishment might give you, for a moment, a bit of a sense of control. Pain and hardship attends our life. And the truth is we are all looking for peace and comfort. Simeon and Anna know what that's like. They are seeking comfort. They are longing for peace. They are longing for the removal of that which not only ails them, but the life of their countrymen and women who are suffering. Simeon, who we find in the temple when Jesus is presented, is a man described as longing for the consolation of Israel. Anna, who's in the temple precincts, has been seeking God for 60-plus years. A young woman who is married for a short time and then widowed for the majority of her life, now at 84, has a life that's been marked by prayer and fasting in the temple, seeking comfort from the Lord. We know it's not just their desire, but there are many like them. At the end of our passage in verse 38, it says, And coming up at that very hour, speaking of Anna, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It's not just Anna. It's not just Simeon. It's a whole group of people. God's people longing for redemption. What are they waiting for? Well, we get a sense of what they're waiting for from the prophet Isaiah. I'm going to read to passages for us this morning to help us enter into the minds and lives of the people described here. First from Isaiah 40, which many of you heard during the lead up to the celebration of Christmas. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Consolation means consoling or comforting in the midst of grief. 
Isaiah 40 speaks of the day in which God speaks comfort to her people who are suffering under warfare and difficulty because of their sins against God. And then we read in Isaiah 52, verses 7 through 10, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Just just pause there for, for a moment. Well, this imagery of mountains and, and beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Just think of what it's like waiting to hear in the waiting room the status of someone that's sick. Or, or, or when you can't reach a loved one and you're wondering where they're at, why can't you get into contact? How much of a relief is it when the nurse or doctor comes out with good news? Or when that text finally comes through, I'm safe, everything's okay. How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for an eye to see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together in singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. These words were spoken to a people, preparing them to go into exile. They had disobeyed God. They had oppressed the poor. They had worshipped idols, and God said, I'm going to send you into exile. But he also promised that he would bring them back. That their enemies would not have the last word that the strife and difficulty of their discipline would not have the final word, but the word of God who said, peace, comfort, I have redeemed you and restored you. And yet Simeon and Anna, who are in Israel, they are descendants of those who came back from exile. While they're in their homeland, while they can worship at the temple, they know that the fulfillment of these words has not fully come about. They don't have a king in the line of David on the throne. They aren't worshiping with the Shekinah glory cloud evident upon the temple. In fact, there are guards, Roman guards, stationed at the very corner of the temple to come out at a moment's notice if there's any kind of unrest or upheaval. They're still waiting for the comfort and the joy of salvation. We may not be seeking the restoration of the monarchy in Israel, but we are looking for peace under a righteous ruler. We seek the end of strife, the halting of grief, the enjoyment of the good life. So this morning, we can find what Anna and Simeon find by looking to the same place that they looked, into the face of Jesus. This morning we'll talk about how we find comfort and peace, consolation and salvation in a personal Savior through faith who confronts our false comforts. First, we're reminded that comfort and peace come in a personal Savior. What allows Simeon to say, your servant may depart in peace? In this song that we describe as the Nunc Dimittis, What allows him to say that he's seen the salvation of Israel? Are those Roman soldiers overthrown? 
Is a new king placed in the palace in Jerusalem? No, he sees the face of an infant, Jesus. Israel's not independent. There's no Davidic king, but Simeon has come face to face with the promised Savior, the anointed Messiah. And the Holy Spirit with whom he is filled, the Holy Spirit who later Jesus calls the comforter, the paraclete, causes Simeon to see in the person of Jesus the comfort, the paraclesis. The Holy Spirit who comforts his people is always directing our attention to where that comfort can be found in Jesus. Redemption and consolation come for God's people in a person, Jesus. A personal Savior. Now sometimes when we use the language of personal, perhaps if you grew up going to Pizza Hut after filling out your reading for the list, you got a personal pan pizza. We often confuse the language of personal with private, okay? And sometimes we treat Jesus like a private Savior. That's not what I'm saying when I say personal. Our Savior is a person. Someone who relates, who has personality. That's who our Savior is. And he is a personal Savior because God is personal. As D.A. Carson says, God presents himself to us not as raw power or irresistible force, but as Father, as Lord, and now in the Word made flesh. We read in Isaiah that people are suffering under warfare. They're seeking peace. What's the root of the problem? It's not just the circumstances, but the root of the problem is a break in relationship. It's the rebellion against God. It's conflict between people and a divine person, the God. This is why Jesus comes as a mediator, as one to make peace between people, between God and man. He comes as the restorer of relationship. Our hope is in a personal Savior. Notice how many times in this passage there is obedience. Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. Joseph and Mary come to present the required sacrifice after the period of cleansing for Mary because Jesus is the firstborn. There's a particular offering for the firstborn son that looks back to the Passover described in Exodus 13. Simeon is obedient. Anna is fasting. Yet all of this obedience is not up here in the air. It's lived out by men and women. And Jesus comes to personally fulfill the law in all the ways that we fall short. It's not abstract ethics or morals that are talked about. It's people actually obeying and living out obedience. And Jesus is the only one that does that perfectly. Jesus didn't come to teach us a form of thought, a certain philosophy. Jesus came to be born, to live, in right relationship with God to die on our behalf and raise again to live for us to restore our relationship to God he is a personal savior and so the Holy Spirit of God active in Simeon active in the prophetess Anna causes them to see in the face of Jesus comfort and redemption they testify to the consolation to the peace to the redemption not 
because there's been the removal of all the hardships yet, but because the one who will remove them has arrived. The one who will accomplish what Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 52 and so much of the Old Testament prepares God's people for. The one who will accomplish the pardoning of our sins by paying double the cost. What Ephesians 1 says how in him that is the Christ in the beloved we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us generously poured out on us double for our sins the person of Jesus and the salvation he accomplishes are inextricable from one another you can't have salvation apart from Jesus there is no Jesus apart from the salvation he comes to accomplish who Jesus is and what he does and what he teaches, they cannot be pulled apart. We are all looking for an end to what hurts. A righting of what's wrong. The enjoyment of peace. And Jesus is the one that brings that healing in himself. If you're here this morning as a Christian, you're here not sure of where you're at, you're here with questions, I would ask you to at least start by asking yourself, where are you seeking comfort and peace? Is it in a set of ideas? Is it in a political platform? Is it in an exercise regimen? Is it in a balanced calendar and schedule of events? Is it in military might? Is it in correct theology? We know that those are a little good if the person doesn't actually exercise. If the military planning isn't actually carried out by soldiers and generals on the field. If our constitution isn't embodied in faithful public servants. We need someone to actually live out the good news, and Jesus has done that for us. An idea can't live a perfect life. An idea can't mediate between God and us. An idea can't forgive, and it cannot die for us. But Jesus can, and he has. So would we not be distracted away from the very source and hope of our consolation, the face of Jesus. If our salvation is in Jesus, how do we find comfort in him, though, when our circumstances often still remain uncomfortable? Well, we see in Simeon and Anna that it comes through faith. Let's be very clear about what Anna and Simeon are witnessing. They are looking at a child. He may be only 40, 41 days old. He cannot walk. He cannot speak. He cannot instruct. And yet as they look at him, they are able to not only feel comfort and peace, but proclaim it. Simeon declares, I can die in peace. He proclaims a blessing to Mary and Joseph. Anna runs around telling people about what she has found because they see a 41-year-old day baby. Put yourself in their shoes. Foreign Gentiles are in charge of their nation. 
their own people collaborate with Rome. There is opportunity for idolatry and disobedience all around them. And in the meantime, Anna is old enough to know severe disappointment. One of the things that's significant about marking Anna's age here is that she would have been old enough to remember the brief period where it seemed like God's people would regain power. Where after the Maccabean revolt, they had a temporary Hasmonean dynasty. And she wouldn't have been old enough to remember the revolt when the Jews temporarily got power, but she would have been old enough to see them lose it. If anyone has an idea of what freedom might look like and disappointment looks like after your hopes have been raised, it would be Anna. And yet she is willing to tell other people that the redemption of Jerusalem has arrived in the face of a child. How can she do that? Through faith in the character of God. Trust that what God says he will do, he will do, because what God has said he will do, he has done. The Holy Spirit testifies to Simeon that he would not die until he saw the appointed Christ, and here is that Christ. For Anna and Simeon, the accomplishment of salvation is as good as done, though they will not live to see Jesus' ministry, his death, or resurrection. They have peace because they recognize the faithfulness of God to his promises. The character of God assures them that the act of initiation, the arrival of Jesus, will no doubt lead to the consummation of what's been promised. The grace and glory of God are in display in Jesus' coming, which assures them and assures us as we await his second coming that when he promises to destroy all that afflicts us, he will destroy it. When he he promises comfort and joy and peace, it will come. He will come one day with healing in his wound and in his wings and warfare, death and disease and sadness will be no more. When we look at Christmas, at the birth of Jesus, when we celebrate Easter and the resurrection of Jesus and his, his victory over the grave, it gives us comfort like Anna and Simeon that even in a world full of discomfort, warfare and uncertainty, we can have peace. Perhaps it would be helpful to think of it this way. After a long and busy day, have you ever walked into your own home or the home of a friend and smelled something delicious cooking? I hope so. Your stomach rumbles. Maybe your mouth waters. And in that moment, you are hungry. But at that moment, you're only smelling the food. You, You haven't eaten it. You haven't tasted of it yet. Does that cause you to lament and mourn? You begin to pound the table and say, woe is me, I smell good food cooking. I'm going to die. No, the way we tend to react is with comfort. Because that while we're hungry now, that good food cooking tells us that we're going to be fed. That our stomachs will be full. The arrival of Jesus the teaching of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus tells us that something good is cooking and there's no better chef than the Almighty God to bring comfort and peace and fullness to his people. We see what Jesus has accomplished. We look back and see his healing of the blind. 
his relieving of the oppression of those who suffered under demons, him raising people back to life. And we know that what Jesus has done shows us that we can trust him for what he says he will do for us. Does that make us naive? To be in a world full of really ugly, painful, difficult things and to say one day Jesus is going to come and he's going to make everything better. Are we naive to say that we can have peace and comfort in a world like this? Are we living in a fantasy or a dream? Because Jesus reveals the character of God as faithful, because he displays his righteousness, love, and compassion, his glory and power are evident when he rises from the dead. And so in our minds, as we live in this life, the realest thing that we face and the most real thing that most people face is death. And yet we know from history, Jesus has already defeated that. And if Jesus can defeat death, what is warfare? What is sickness? What is COVID-19 to the one who walked out of the grave? We're not living in a dreamland. We are preparing to wake from a nightmare. And we who are believers have confidence. We don't lose heart. As 2 Corinthians 4 says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are, but to the things that are unseen. Paul says that we are Experiencing something that is light in comparison to what God is preparing for us. Anna and Simeon in their old age and in the suffering could say that though they had experienced those things, that just as real, if not even more real, was the comfort, peace, and redemption that that little child was coming to accomplish. Paul is telling us that the reality of what is coming is more real than what we experience now. And when we look at the face of Jesus, though we might be rejected by those around us, we can know that we are loved. Though, though we might feel lonely and isolated, we know that we will never be forsaken. That though we are tired, we know that our life shall never cease. So we are called to enjoy comfort and peace through faith because of the character of God, which is on display in the coming of Christ. But in order for us to experience that peace and comfort in Christ, we need to have our false comforts confronted. No sooner does Simeon finish blessing God and blessing Joseph and Mary than he speaks some very difficult words in verse 34. Behold, this child is appointed for the falling and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He speaks of difficulty and trial ahead, even as he rejoices that the consolation of Israel has arrived. What does he say? He says this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed and a sword that will pierce through their own souls. Well, what's Simeon saying? First of all, he's saying Jesus is going to be a divisive character because Jesus is going to confront false hope and false comfort. His ministry, as we will trace as we go through the gospel of Luke, will confront the rich and the powerful who say, look at my riches. 
Look at my power. Look at my esteem in the eyes of other. I am safe. And he will speak of the difficulty of the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Those who will think themselves righteous and yet will not give up their riches to care for others. Who think they love their neighbor but have a very narrow definition of what a neighbor is. Jesus will bring down those who have false comforts and hopes. His own brother James, who likely rejected him for a period of time, said God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are high and proud and boastful, they're brought low by his ministry. But those who have no comfort in this life are unable to see the good news of Jesus. Later in the book of Luke, in Luke 11, the crowds ask Jesus for a sign. And Jesus tells them that they are a wicked generation and the only sign that they will receive is the sign of Jonah. This is the fulfillment of something else that Simeon is saying here. He will be a sign that is opposed. Well, the sign that, that Jesus will undergo is the crucifixion. His death and a shameful death. And many in Israel would reject them. How could we follow a Messiah, a Savior, who would die naked on the sign of the public oppression of Rome? And it is in the very hope of the one who would die in such a way for us that we find salvation. Jesus' ministry reveals our hearts by confronting our false hopes. When it says here, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, and so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed, we might immediately want to go to the fact that Mary and, and Joseph, well, most likely Mary, because in all likelihood Joseph has passed by the time of Jesus dies, that, that she will be grieved because of the death of her son. And, and maybe that's partly what Simeon has in mind. But this particular word sword and this idea of piercing is used frequently in the Old Testament when the righteous and the wicked are divided when there's a, a period of judgment to reveal those who are following God versus not. And Mary and her own family will be confronted with the fact that they go to tell Jesus that he's acting crazy in Luke chapter 8, and she'll hear the words of her own son say, who is my mother and my brothers but those who do the will of God? She will have to ask, is my desire to worship God and support the ministry that God has for my son? Or is my plan for me to have the comfort of people thinking my son isn't crazy? That he's not a wacko? Their own heart will have to be pierced by the truth of what Jesus is doing according to God's word. Have you ever met someone that has really suffered or really lost? That is a Christian. Perhaps you might think of Joni Erickson Tata, who was disabled at a young age, or Corey Ten Boone, who was in the Nazi concentration camps. I know personally of a woman at the church I grew up at who suffered a debilitating stroke. And I knew her before that stroke, and I've known her since. She has more joy in her life at this point than any point prior. How can that be? Because she, like others that I've mentioned, 
are denying reality? No. Because what they have faced in these losses, in these struggles, in the coming to the end of their own lives has been a disconnect from that which cannot satisfy. No longer can they find their identity in a romantic relationship when their spouse is taken from them. No longer is there comfort in their health and vitality because they have it no more. No more can they shelter themselves in self-righteousness when their sins are exposed. No more can they hide themselves in peace and quiet when violence intrudes on their life. They are stripped of false comforts. They're insufficient consolations to find true rest and true hope and true comfort in the grace of Christ. This is what Simeon is declaring. Jesus will not allow us false comfort. He confronts our idols because he knows they lead us away from true and lasting peace. Let me be honest. Drugs and alcohol, they can give us a respite from the pain. Pornography can make us feel not alone. Wealth can make us feel secure. When God commands us to be sober, when he calls us to be chaste, when he commands us to be generous, it is a hard mercy so that we won't anchor our comfort in things that will be taken away from us. And what is passing away, but we will find a truer, realer, more lasting peace in Jesus. Isaiah 40 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received double from the Lord's hand for all her sins. In the face of Jesus, Simeon and Anna see the fulfillment of these words. In our faith and trust in Jesus, we can find double payment for our sins. Do you need consolation from grief? Are you seeking peace? Did 2023 beat you up? Look to Jesus. He is our comfort. He is our strength. He is our salvation. Whatever comes this year, will we be relieved of false comforts and trust in him? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for what you showed Simeon and Anna so that we might see more clearly ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.